You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. And uh, we will look at that together a little bit. Um, here's what I would like to do this morning. Now, for you who are visiting with us for the first time, or maybe if you were away during the holidays, you didn't catch some of the, uh, the announcements along the way. We have begun this series called Centered. And the whole series is all about Jesus. It's centering on his life, his teachings, his parables. Uh, we're going to take uh, segments of time and, and look at each of those as well as some of the types and shadows of Jesus, some of the things in the Old Testament that foretell of the, the coming of Jesus Christ, all of that. All right. So uh, this is it's an exciting, exciting journey that we're going to have. And the beginning of this journey is to take you through the life of Jesus, to take you through his years on the earth. And so Pastor Dave sort of opened that door for us the Sunday before Christmas, and he talked about how much we as people, as humanity, long for a king and uh, the desire to have a king, have a deliverer, have a rescuer, someone who comes and, and, and makes all the wrongs right and takes care of us. And yet... In our humanity, we tend to be very disobedient and unsubmissive to, uh, to that. Um, and then we, we, on Christmas Eve, we talked about this amazing birth uh, of this Savior, Jesus Christ, and Him being this light that has come into this dark world. And uh, then last Sunday, we talked about Emmanuel, what it means to be God with us. And the amazing thing that Jesus did to come out of heaven and come to earth and, and experience humanity with us and to understand our sufferings and identify with, with the hurts and the pains of life and humanity uh, and to go to the cross for us and to lay his life down for us. God with us. An amazing, amazing concept. And so today we're going to pick that up and we're going to talk about Jesus within the context of the first eight days of his life on earth as a baby and uh, with his mother and his father Mary and Joseph. And so to do that this morning, I would like to attempt something, all right? Um, I would like to, to move into a character mode and I would like to do a reading for you uh, that is from the perspective of Joseph. This gives you an idea of the things that Joseph might have thought and how he might have experienced emotionally all of these things surrounding uh, conception of Jesus and his relationship to Mary and, and as they moved through um, the birth of Jesus and into the time of dedicating him in the temple. So I'd like to do that first. I would like to, to, to move out of my personality a little bit uh, as your pastor, Pastor Bill, standing here at the pulpit. I'm going to come back here in a few moments. But I want to take you to a character, uh, if we can, and I would like to portray Joseph. So I'll be speaking in first person Joseph to you uh, for a few minutes and, and try to help you to see how he might have per perceived all of what was going on around him. So if we can have the lights, please, and they're going to go down low. And if you can focus by the candle, we will, for a moment or two, talk about Jesus. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob became the man we know as Israel. 
And he in his turn became the father of Judah and his many brothers. This was the beginning of a long line of ancestors that are mine. My name is Joseph, a carpenter from the town of Nazareth. In my culture, every Jewish boy and girl are required to memorize their ancestry, beginning with Adam and Eve and going through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and on through David and Solomon and the many great kings of Judah. They did this because God had made a promise to my people. Through the prophet Isaiah, God had declared that unto us a child would be given. Unto us a a son would be born. His name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government would be upon his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and of his peace, there would be no end. Every Jewish family dreamed that God would use them, honor them, by allowing them to be the parents of the great Messiah. They hoped that they would be permitted to raise a king, the king of Israel. A king promised, promised to bring deliverance from the chains of bondage. But I am just a carpenter, a good carpenter, but still just a carpenter. I'm neither a prophet nor a priest nor a man of regal blood such as a prince or a king. And Mary, sweet girl that she was, was as humble a background as any, even of I and my family. We were under no illusions that we could actually become the parents of the great Messiah. Our marriage was arranged, as were all marriages of that day. For more than a year before we were physical, we became husband and wife as our families became one. We were intertwined. We would spend our days together, eat together. Her parents would get to know me. My parents would get to know her. It was a good arrangement became the strength of good families. It was foundation to good marriages. And Mary, she came from good stock. She was a gentle girl. Easy on the eyes. The men of Nazareth, they envied me. Then one day it was discovered She was pregnant. And I was not the father. Her family was understandably very upset. Mine, very devastated, shocked, angry. Divorce her. Quickly and publicly, they said. <laughs> but I like Mary. <laughs> I've always liked Mary. But of course, 
they were right. My parents would never accept her and the people of Nazareth would never forget. If I took Mary as my wife, we would have to pack up my tools and move far enough away so that the taint of the shame, it wouldn't follow us. They were right. It would be best if I would just forget her. But how could I forget her? <laughs> her eyes could melt my soul. Her smile lit up a room. Her voice, her voice was like that of an angel. Well, no, 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 not really. Once you've heard the voice of an angel, there's nothing quite like it. The voice of a woman, <laughs> at its best, soft, gentle, comforting. The voice of an angel, it is terrifying. There I was, sleep on my bed, when suddenly the room was filled with light. <laughs> And there at the foot of my bed stood an angel. Fear not, he said. <laughs> Fear not? Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And Mary shall give birth to a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he shall... Save his people from their sins. As the angel spoke, I felt a stirring within my heart. I recall this, this obscure passage from Isaiah that even the rabbis struggle with. Speaking of the coming Messiah, Isaiah wrote these words. He says, And he shall be pierced for our transgressions. He shall be crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace is upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. There are those to this very day who wonder if I truly believed what the angel said on that night. And you know, they're right. I'd never spoken with an angel before. Have you? Have you? As Mary's pregnancy progressed, I increasingly wondered if I had truly heard the voice of an angel that night, or, or if I had, had merely imagined what I hoped to hear because I so much wanted Mary to be my wife. <laughs> In those days, Caesar Augusta issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. It was decreed that everyone should return to the home of their family and they should register with the government. Since I was of the family of the, the line of David, I was required to return to our ancestral home, Bethlehem, far to the south. So I and Mary, she was far along in her pregnancy, we, we made this long journey from, from Nazareth 
to Bethlehem. But when we arrived, we found that so many people had come to Bethlehem to register that the inn was full. <laughs> there was no room for us. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, we were able to find a cave just outside of town and it was being used as a barn. We found shelter there for the night. That night, <laughs> that night, Mary gave birth to a son. I cut the cord. I, I washed his body and wrapped him in clean, warm clothes and I, I laid him in a feeding trough. The manger where feed was placed for the cattle. <sighs> I sat down beside Mary and I held her close. <laughs> we talked for a long time about visions we had received and we wondered if, if what we had heard was really true. <laughs> Suddenly, at the entrance of the cave, there were like 14 of them, 15 of them, shepherds who told us they had come a, a fair distance from the fields where their flocks were bedded down for the night. And they said that while they were watching over their sheep, then the night suddenly became filled with light. A host of angels filled the sky singing praises to God. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. One of the angels told them, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And so they left their flocks. And they came to find if what the angel had told them was true. Quietly. They, they gathered around the manger and they, they, they bowed in worship to our Son. Eight days later, as the law required, we took Jesus to the great city of Jerusalem to have Him circumcised, to offer two turtle doves as a sacrifice to God. When we reached the place where the act was to be performed, the man who was to circumcise him, his name was Simeon. He took Jesus from us and raised him up before God. <laughs> and he offered thanks. He told us that God had promised him that he would not die before he had been allowed to see the Lord's anointed. No sooner than he said this, an older lady, a prophetess in the temple, her name was Anna, she approached us and, and also gave praise to God for this child that would be the salvation of Israel. <laughs> she then spoke to everyone about him. 
we returned to Bethlehem. I set up shop to ply my trade as a carpenter. For two years, we lived there. Until one day, strangers came to our home. They were visitors from a, from a far-off country. They said they had seen a star in the east, and their religion told them that it spoke of a great king being born. So they followed the star for many months until they came to our home. And when they saw Jesus, they came and they bowed in worship to Him and they gave us gifts, gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. <laughs> if we had any doubts, they were completely removed. Now, the Gospels don't tell you what a unique experience it was to be the, the stepfather, if you will, of the Son of God. After Jesus was born, I, I fully took Mary to be my wife. For up until that time, we hadn't slept together as a husband and wife. Eventually, she bore us four more sons, two daughters. None of that could have prepared me for the responsibility of raising Jesus as our son. For example, when he was 12, we took him with us to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And we lost him. We searched for hours until at last we found him <laughs> in the temple speaking with the rabbis and the teachers of the law, and he spoke as, as if he was one who was intimately familiar with the Scriptures. As he grew older, I, I taught Jesus my craft. <laughs> but it seemed he rarely had time for work. People would enter our shop and they would ask questions of him, questions they would never ask a rabbi or the scribes. And when he did work, he often used the money we received to give it to the poor. It seemed like Jesus was always giving things away. <laughs> Even during his ministry, he gave things to people. There was a man who had been crippled since his birth, and Jesus gave him new legs. He met another man who was blind, and he gave him new eyes. A young man who had been tormented by the powers of darkness and he was even dangerous to be around. Jesus gave him a new mind. A terrible disease had taken a, a young girl's life. He gave her a new life. Jesus gave to everyone. As the scriptures tell us, <laughs> He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He, he made Himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself and He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That was the reason He came to give His life for ours. And as the prophecy said in 
from old. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. (laughs) And by His wounds, we are healed. So, uh, Simeon and Anna in the temple, they understood for them the light. It had already come. Okay, let me talk to you from my heart for a few minutes, and uh, I'm going to take you back to that passage. But before I do that, I'm going to ask Christina to come up and help me out for a minute. I just I want her thoughts on this temple dedication, this time when Jesus comes is being brought and being dedicated in the temple. So can you give her your mic, Pastor, and let her, uh, let her just talk to us for a few minutes here. Thank you. Uh, well, the, the dedication of Jesus at the temple is an interesting moment. Two things are actually going on. Um, Jesus as the firstborn son is being dedicated and a sacri- sacrifice is being made for Mary's uh, cleanliness. She is spiritually unclean um, after having given birth to a child, and so there's a sacrifice being made for her uh, for her ceremonial cleanness. But uh, I really like the passage in Luke uh, for a lot of reasons. But um, but because it brings us back to Exodus 13, which is where this dedication of the firstborn son started. Um, the last plague, you'll remember, was the plague of the firstborn, where anyone who did not sacrifice the lamb and put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, their firstborn uh, son would be killed. And um, so the Israelites put the blood of the lamb over their doors, and their firstborn sons are saved, and they all go out of Egypt because Pharaoh is finally finished with the Israelites, at least he thinks he is. And um, in Exodus 13... Uh, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. And then if you jump down to verse 14, In the days to come, when your son asks you, What does this mean, this consecration of the firstborn son? Uh, Say to him, With a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male offspring of of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. Uh, And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So uh, the dedication of the firstborn son is two things, I think. Um, It is God offering a substitute for the lives of his people. Uh, The lamb, the Passover lamb, is a substitute for that firstborn son that God redeems through that life of the lamb. And it is a sign of covenant that God has placed his seal and his sign on this child, that this child belongs to me. And through this child, this whole people belongs to me. Um, So it is um, God's sacrifice for his people and God's covenant with his people. And, of course, I think it's so interesting that Jesus himself, who is the sacrifice and is the covenant, goes through that same ceremony that every baby boy did when he was eight days old. Um, And... uh, 
so I, I love that idea that all these people who belong to God, God gives them back their lives, um, and that's represented in their firstborn sons, and in that establishes a covenant with them. Perfect. Let's just, let's just go through this passage, Luke chapter 2, 25 through 33. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I remember very distinctly all three of my children being dedicated. I also remember my grandson being dedicated. I remember many dedications. Some of the children in this church, several of them here, uh, I did the dedication. Our Pastor Dave and I did the dedication. Um, and I've done many, many dedications over uh, many years of ministry. I remember, though, specifically when my children were dedicated, and my grandson in particular was being dedicated that it was a very emotional moment for me. It was a very, very tender time, but it was also a very, very sobering moment. And there was, there was something that was going on. It's as though I had a second track in my head going on the whole time. I was very aware of what we were doing and the symbolism of what we were doing in terms of dedicating our children to the Lord. I was very, very committed to that, to the idea that I wanted to give back this gift that God had given to me and entrusted to Barb and I uh, to raise. Uh, I wanted to give this gift of life, this child, back to the Lord in, in a sense and, and dedicate this child to the Lord, to His keeping, His care, and to a future and a destiny. And I remember on each occasion thinking, God, what is this child's life going to be all about? What is this child's destiny really about? What is going to happen? And, and I will admit to you that it wasn't all good thinking. It, and, and, and for me, there's a, there's, a, there's a part of me, I shared this a, a few weeks ago, there's always been a part of me that has struggled or feared with the loss of my children, that they would be somehow taken away from me. That, that, that the devastation of that, the, the, the pain and, and, and the grief of that would be unbearable for me. And I always said, God, I, I don't want to lose my children. Please, you've, you've got to promise me that, that if I serve you faithfully, that my children will be okay. Trying to make deals with, with God out of my own fears. But when we brought them up into the front of the church among family and, and friends... And we dedicated them. In those moments, it was, it was, there was a serious, serious 
like pause for me as a father and as a husband and as a man, as a believer, as one who trusted God. God, what is going to be their destiny? What is going to happen to these children of mine? And how, how do I play into that? What Help me in my role in their lives. And I would have loved if from out of the shadows a Simeon, if you will, would have walked up and said, let me hold that baby. And would have looked at Barb and I and said, let me tell you about this child. As one full of the Spirit, I want to tell you, I want to prepare you. But in another sense, I'm glad that never happened because it seems to me when someone prophesied in such a manner that even though there was goodness in it and revelation in it and even joy in it, there tend to be some sort of dagger moment, some, oh, some, some insight in all of it so that there's some point, some place in it where God speaks this, this really uh, serious reality that is going to require an unbelievable level of faith to carry through and to carry on. And Mary and Joseph got that. They got way more, I think, in this dedication than, than what they thought they would. There's a story told about a Sunday school teacher and she gave her class an assignment and they were to read Isaiah chapter 9. So then the next Sunday, she asked them, she said, uh, she said how many of you uh, remember um, uh, what, it, what it said? And every, you know, all their hands went up and she, she said, wonderful, you know, I've got a piece of candy for anyone who can complete the second half of this verse. And she read the verse. She said, the people who walk in darkness... And she put her hand out. You know, all of them are raising their hands. And you know, she's going like, okay, you tell me, all right? The people who walk in darkness. And the first child said, use the less electricity. Yeah. And so she said, you know, she did No, that's not right. Okay. All right. You. All right. The people who walk in darkness, stub their toes. Yeah. <laughs> the next one. People who walk in darkness, spend most of their time sleeping. <laughs> yeah. People who walk in darkness are usually burglars. <laughs> People who walk in darkness could really use a flashlight. <laughs> She's like, okay, okay, stop. You know, she says, the people who walked in darkness. Come on, think about it. You all read it. Have seen. Now, a great light. <laughs> yes. A great light in darkness, but now see a great light. I don't know how old Simeon was when he met Joseph and Mary, and I don't know if he was actually the Simeon that was supposed to uh, do the, the circumcision and, and the dedication or, or not, um, but he was there and he was a part of this and he speaks to, to Mary and Joseph. And he says that, that something has been revealed to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that he would not die before uh, he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so when he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. There's something very key in that. As you have promised. All right? 
He knew he wasn't going to die until he had seen the Messiah. He believed God's promise. All right? And I want you to hold on to that word promise and kind of put it back there for a minute. I think Simeon was actively for a long time looking. The older he got, I'm sure he was looking more. He was anticipating that at some moment in time, this Messiah was some way going to come into the temple. He would find his way to the temple. And so I think that he was always looking. He was looking for that person coming through the gate. And, and he just knows that at some point he is going to encounter the Messiah right there in the temple. But much to his surprise, I would imagine, he sees this eight-day-old baby boy being carried by Mary. And, and, and somehow there's something in him because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is upon him and it's in this spirit that he is understanding. It's, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he's getting this revelation. This isn't a guess. You know, it wasn't like, oh, there's something unique about you guys. You look a little different, okay? These were common people. Joseph is a carpenter. He's a common man. They're very average people. Everyday, ordinary, not extraordinary people. And they come as many others would come. And they're bringing their baby in on the eighth day as they should to be dedicated. And the Spirit comes upon this man, Simeon, and he begins to, to prophesy about this Messiah. There's something happening here. And I want to focus for just a few minutes and we'll be done on one small phrase in that prophecy. And it's taken from Luke chapter 2, verse 32. Simeon says that this Messiah would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And that's where I want to bring you this morning. This Jesus was born and he was cared for and he was raised by this lovely couple who had some extraordinary circumstances to overcome and they faithfully and obediently bring him to the temple having been convinced by experience and circumstance already that this indeed was a miraculous birth. It was a unique situation. They had heard angels speak to them. They were being guided by God's hand and by the Holy Spirit and by angelic assistance. And they're coming in, but they did not understand the magnitude of what they were bringing into the temple. They did not understand how far-reaching this prophecy was and the, and the destiny of this Jesus, their son. And so Simeon said this because it was what God had said about the Messiah in, all the way back in Isaiah 42. God promised the Messiah there in, in verse 6. He says, I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. And then if you go further down and you keep reading, you get to, to chapter 49, he says it again. He says it in a, in a little bit different way. He packages it very different, which I think is very, very big, very profound. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles 
that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. I, I want you to get something here. This idea that, that the Gentiles just by, by the default of Israel or the passivity of Israel or the, or the rebellion of Israel or the stubbornness of Israel suddenly now, okay, well, since they won't do it, we'll get you all saved, is bogus. That's ridiculous. You're no afterthought of God. You're, you're not something that gets tagged on. It's not like, like some, some sheep herder who, who herds his sheep, but he can't get his sheep in, and so there's a few goats over there, and he says, well, let's just get the goats. At least they'll get in the, in the wagon. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying here? From the foundations of the world... It was already decided you would be brought in. You would have the privilege of salvation. The book of Acts, we read about the time when Paul was preaching to a group of Jews about Jesus and they rejected his message. And so Paul quoted Isaiah 49 to them, saying that, that since they rejected Christ, he now would turn his message to the Gentiles. He said it. He said, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. He says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. That's you. That's me. What is a Gentile? Someone who's not a Jew. So you and I have this amazing, amazing privilege to be brought in. We are a part of the covenant. We belong. We're not, we're not left out and we're not an afterthought. In the days of, of, of Jesus, the Gentiles were hated by the Jews. They, they'd have nothing to do with them. They wouldn't eat with them. They wouldn't talk to them. They wouldn't pass by them. They wouldn't give them the time of day, really. In fact, uh, if, if a Jew bought something from a Gentile merchant, they'd take it home and wash it. You know, if they bought like a table or, or a, a, a chair, they'd dip it in a pool, all right, because they were washing away the filth of the Gentile from their new possession. They even had, a, you know, names for Gentiles. They called them dogs, not puppy dogs, mongrels, strays, rabid animals. The Jews considered the Gentiles to be losers, to be outsiders, to be worthless. Well, there is a reason why the Gentiles were considered outsiders or, or losers, and that's because that's what they were, in, in, in a sense. The Gentiles were not part of the family of God. Only the Jews had this special covenant with God. Only the Jews had this unique relationship. The Gentiles didn't have that. They didn't have a, a, a covenant with God. They didn't have a, a special relationship yet, all right? They, they were on the outside looking in. They're, they're like a little kid. Maybe some of you can identify with this. I identify with this. When I was little, I, I, I was kind of a sissy kid. I, did, I wasn't real athletic like Pastor Dave, you know. I didn't have all those, those, those great attributes, you know. So when guys like Pastor Dave, you know, the jocks came out on the, on the basketball court, they were bouncing balls and, and shooting three-pointers and laughing and sneering and all that. I was that kid over there behind the fence, you know. I was that kid over there that, that was looking in, you know, and going, gosh, I just want to be like him. I just wish I could just be like him. He's loving this. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd be like over there on my toes going, man, if I could shoot a ball like he can, you know. I was always on the outside, but wanted to be on the inside. I wanted to be one that was in there, but I was always left out. You know, 
They'd, they'd, they'd pick sides and pick teams and they'd get their team and, and there would still be two or three of us, but we just never made the team. You know, we just were on the outside. Sorry, Pastor. God never intended for you to be on the outside. That was never His intent. That wasn't His way. That isn't the kind of God we serve. And Simeon understood this. He had such a revelation of things. And so I want you to understand that Jesus came to die for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. He came to die for you. He came to die for your sin that you might be set free. He is your deliverer. Joseph and Mary, when they bundled this baby Jesus up and eight days later brought him from a manger in a cave-like area of a little town called Bethlehem into Jerusalem, into the big city, into the temple, and they presented him before the priest. They were presenting the deliverer, the covenant deliverer, Jesus. A light has come. A light shines in the darkness of sin. A light is, is established, all right? This was the fulfillment of prophecy. This is the Jesus who came to be the light. That's how God planned it. That's, that's how it played out, if you will. There's a theologian named C.I. Schofield. He's author of the Schofield Study Bible. I don't know if you like that Bible or not. It's not not an issue he was considered one of the, the godfathers of the present day pre-millennialism I, I, I don't agree with him I don't, I don't like the stuff that's in there um, it's not something I would recommend to you you can read it for, an, for whatever purposes you would like he's considered a great theologian but he, he taught something about the Gentiles. He called it the great parenthesis in God's master plan that, that the, the, the Gentiles weren't really his main focus, but that after the Jews turned from Christ, God added them in like some great parenthesis over here in the, in the plan. I want, you to, I want you to get something here because I think this is very huge for your identity and for your confidence in your, in your faith. We don't, we don't teach that Jews were not a main focus of God, but, but we believe that even though Jews are a main focus of God, so are Gentiles. So are you and I. We are not an afterthought here. We're, we, we weren't... We weren't something that was accidental that just sort of happened and now it's a good thing for us. And that we have this accidental blessing. You don't, you don't have an accidental blessing. You, you were so loved. That, all that's just so bogus. All the way back in Isaiah, God says, it's just too small a thing for you to just die for the, for the Jews, for the Israelites. This is too small for what you are doing. You must become the light of the Gentiles. You're getting it. I think you understand what I'm saying here. All right? For God so loved the world. 
The whole world, not just the Jews. He died for the whole shooting match. Everything, all right? Everybody is a part of it, all right? So all that other stuff is crazy, if you will. Uh, It's wrong, all right? It's wrong. I want to challenge you and I that as we move forward here, that we are living under an understanding that God knows the plan He has for your life. And it is a plan not to harm you, but it is a plan to give you a hope and a future. And that is in Christ. It's not outside of Christ. It is in Christ. All right? You, don't, you won't get it outside. You won't find it outside of Christ. And when those angels proclaimed the birth of Jesus and peace for all men, those angels were proclaiming your peace, your reconciliation with the Savior, your sins forgiven and forgotten, and your eternal security in Jesus Christ alone. And you have that today if you know Him as your Savior. If you don't know Him as your Savior, you're not in. You're not in. You can be, but you're not in. And that's, that's where we want to land today, all right? This Jesus was brought into the temple. Now, here's the interesting thing. He was brought into the temple as the deliverer, even though he was only eight days old and a baby. And I'm sure he was very different looking than what Simeon had thought he would be and what Anna maybe had thought he would be. But they got it. And they knew because they were in tune with the Holy Spirit through prayer and supplication. They got it. They understood. Okay. So they speak of this Savior. This was an amazing moment for these two older people. Everything that they had lived for was now in, in grasp. It was there. They had prayed, they had waited, and now God had been faithful to them to let them see the Messiah, the Savior, and He has come. He is born. Something's going to happen now. Some things are shifting. Some things are changing now. And we don't know if they were still alive as, as, as when Jesus was crucified or, or, or how it went on. But, but I'm sure if Anna was, she was one of those ladies out there. I'm sure she watched the Savior all through those 33 years. Where are we in this? Jesus is brought into this temple. He is the rescuer. He is the deliverer. He will rescue you. He will deliver you. But here's where we want to get to with this thing is that there is a new temple. And he still comes to the temple. The Bible asks you a question, and we're going to close with this. Do you not know? It isn't a question challenging your intelligence. It's a question for you to to, to consider and, and understand. Do you not understand? Do you not realize? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go away, but, but, but I have to go. I, I can't keep staying with you. I came. I died. I was resurrected. I can't stay with you. I'm going to go away. But the reason I go away is so the Spirit can come. And the triune Godhead through the power of the Holy Spirit rests inside of you. It comes to live in you. 
So he still comes. He still comes to this day. He is the light to the Gentiles. Pastor.